0: recording going. All right. Just mute you guys for now, but you can unmute yourselves um, if you're in chat, that kind of thing. Cool. Uh, so today we're going to talk about leadership and I don't think I've addressed this topic before, but it's, it's ultimately something that will determine your role in life. You know, I I found that generally there are leaders and followers. Now that can be in a general sense, like you're always typically a leader, always typically a follower, or it can be more specific. You might be the leader at home, but a follower at work. You might be a leader in your social circle, but a follower in your family. Or it might be just certain events you step up and lead, and then you step back down. And that's fine. There's no right or wrong to this. But what I wanted to talk about today is is a style of leadership that does not require any manipulation, does not require any trickery, it does not require exerting force or trying to dominate people through playing with their emotions, but to lead in a way where somebody follows you because they want to, and you're just being yourself, to kind of use you as you are in the best possible way. To encourage uh, following loyalty, uh, even willfully given obedience. Okay. Because I, I, was, I was struck by this dilemma when I first got into a management role. Uh, I saw how other people managed and had been managed by people like that and I didn't like it. I didn't like the way they used their title or the threat of my job security or little tricks and games to play us off against each other. I mean, to me, it was all so obvious and transparent. It's not like anyone didn't know this stuff was happening. And it was only a matter of time before those so-called leaders lost the loyalty of their followers. I thought, I don't want to be that kind of boss. So what else is there? And today we're going to talk about what I discovered in a three or four year journey of leadership, where I tried to learn from the best as to how you lead without being an asshole, basically. Before we go to that, I want to hear from you guys. You can um, type in the the comments box or just wave your hand, I'll bring you up for a chat. What does the word leadership mean to you? How do you define that? Type something in, or yep, Henry, I'll uh, unmute you there. What's up, Brian? Yeah. Um, for me, leadership is more into um in my. In. I don't know, you're cutting out a little bit there. Hold on a sec there, Henry. Uh, Your signal's a bit poor. Okay. All right, that didn't... uh, Henry, your uh, signal was a bit poor there. Maybe just try typing your answer in. Um, am I pronouncing that right? Leadership is someone who can set an example and make decisions. Very good. Yeah, decision making is an important element of it. And setting an example, we'll be talking about that soon. Call you KK, no problem at all. Hans, someone who initiates and does things first, sets examples, paves the way. Uh, yeah, actually the combination of both of what you guys have said there is, is really spot on to what we're going to be talking about today. There's the element of going first, kind of lead the way from the front and that's the style of membership, uh, membership, style of leadership that we'll be talking about today, which is usually different from the other styles. And of course, this is the person who has a role and that role is to create final decisions either to make those decisions themselves or to enable a group to come to a decision so we're going to talk about how leadership is a role within a group of two or more people Mm -hmm. and henry's also nailed a key one leadership is more about serving others other leadership styles aren't about these things necessarily though they do some of these things So I want to touch on a couple of, there's sort of three distinct leadership styles that you'll usually come across in your relationships or in the teams that you're a part of. The first and probably one of the most common is the authoritative style of leadership. Simply put, you dominate by force. So this is somebody who uses controlling techniques, who plays on people's fear, who uses um, extreme extroversion to just kind of overwhelm other people. They tell you what to do. They call all the shots. They make all the decisions. There's no real interaction. There's no real um, collaboration. It's just do it my way style of leadership. These are the kind of people that will often use their title or the power that they have over certain aspects of you Um, to their advantage so in a relationship they might be abusive and controlling the finances and that kind of thing Uh, in a team they might threaten your job or subtly threaten your job they'll fire people that kind of thing they use force and and this does work to a limited extent and it's essentially once that person is seen to be without power anymore they quickly fall by the coup, you know? So you can see this in, in dictatorships around the world. As soon as a sign of weakness is shown, the populace rises up and destroys the dictator. And that's the problem with the authoritative style of, uh, of leadership is it's only a matter of time before somebody decides they're stronger than you and sees you as competition. Plus, it's just shitty for everybody following you. That style of leadership. Okay, nobody likes it. It's only a matter of time before they rebel and there's a mutiny of some kind. The next, and this is going to answer Henry's just um, put the question to Donald Trump. And he's a great example of the next one, which is Machiavellian. So Machiavelli was a uh, God, I don't know how many hundreds of years ago he wrote his uh, leadership books and and he was actually misunderstood. He was, he wrote a book essentially giving advice to Kings and Queens and princes and so on on how to rule. And his one is, his style is much more about gameplay. Okay. So Machiavellian is the kind of technique that gang leaders use, that uh, CEOs use and that Donald Trump uses. Machiavellian is about emotional gameplay, uh, using reward and punishment carefully to motivate people's behaviours, using deception and manipulation uh, to influence people's behaviour. It's very much the puppeteer pulling on strings, saying the right thing at the right time to the right people, turning people against each other, bringing other people together to create alliances and enemies. All... All done with the idea of you will now be more loyal to me and you will be more likely to do what I say. Um, this is a very popular, like a lot of people will do this without having ever heard the term Machiavellian. But this is anybody who uses manipulation the kind of with that negative connotation, that style of manipulation um, to rule or control others. So this is somebody who uses guilt tripping. This is somebody who uses flattery. You know, this is somebody who uses um, invalidation. You know, makes you question yourself. Those styles. When we got someone like Donald Trump, you know, it's great to watch one of his rallies. If if you type out something that Donald Trump says, if you type out one of his freestyle speeches, it makes no sense at all. It it doesn't. It doesn't make any clear points it just meanders and wanders but if you're at one of his rallies you'll feel the emotion in the room get pumped and that's machiavellian everyone is feeling stuff and that feeling drives their behavior what people like trump understand and other machiavellian leaders understands, that people make decisions emotionally so they don't actually need to be convincing or rational or They don't need to be good role models or anything. They just need to pump people's emotions through different techniques to get the right emotion at the right time. So that's Machiavellian, and that's a very popular style of leadership. Lots of managers use this. And the last style is what I just call passive or soft leadership. So it's not really leadership at all. It's like you've got the title, but there's no substance behind it. The only reason people do what you say is because you're the boss. You know, the the leader is carried by the team. He leads from behind. He's often hypocritical. He won't do the very things he asks other people to do. Um, Usually and very often disrespected by the team, but they might think of him as a nice person. He's passive and soft. He's non-confrontational, but he also constantly breaks promises and doesn't follow through and doesn't live up to his responsibilities. Or hers. I just say his because I'm always talking to guys. So those are options for how to lead. But as you guys identified before as to what like leadership is about, you can see they all lack some of the things that you brought up. You know, there's a lack of leading from the front. There's a lack of serving other people. With the passive and soft, you get a lack of decision making. Um, with authoritative, you have too much decision making. There isn't a balance. There isn't um, cooperation with the team. You know, um, so like someone like who, someone who's Machiavellian will get somebody else to do the hard work, but they've never done that hard work themselves. They don't lead from the front. They're the general who can motivate soldiers to go in and die for him, but they would never actually risk themselves taking a bullet. You know, that's Machiavellian. So, the problem, authoritative, it relies on fear. So as soon as the people lose their fear, they're going to snap back against the leader and rebel. So fear must be maintained at all time. You must be constantly dominant. As soon as weakness is shown, another more dominant person, the beta male of the troop, is going to jump in. Okay? And this is why all dictators fall eventually. With Machiavellian, you get this uh, kind of chickens come home to roost, and Trump's a good example of this. You know, you've got whistleblowing and stuff happening now with Trump. His 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 empire is quickly disintegrating. It's only a matter of time before he's got himself into some serious hot water. He can't keep up the puppeteer act very long because he's actually not that good at it. He's too disjointed. Um, I believe he, he 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 is psychopathic, but he's what we'd call disjointed psychopathic. He can't kind of keep his story straight. He can't control himself very well. Whereas with um, functional psychopaths, you know, I think of a good example of functional psychopath. It's quite possible Barack Obama is a functional psychopath. But there's somebody they're very much in control. There's a storyline that they follow. There's no, like, kind of contradictions. They, they keep everything under uh, control. But the, the problem with being Machiavellian, you're constantly in competition. So you have to be the best manipulator. If there's a better manipulator, you will get usurped. And you'll also look really bad next to a leader of integrity. You know, you see a great example in South Africa where when Mandela got released from prison and, you know, led the ANC party against the Nationalist party. I mean, the Nationalist party was so Machiavellian. They were so deceptive and tricky and controlling. And then you had Nelson Mandela come up, and he was just very honest and forthright and direct. And it just made them look awful. It just made them look kind of pathetic. So when you're Machiavellian, you're always at risk of being made to look very bad when placed next to somebody of integrity. And of course, if you're a passive or a soft leader, you provide no real value, you're easily replaced. It's only a matter of time. So while all of these styles can work, I'm not actually saying that they're bad just for moral reasons, even though that's often the case, but they're actually just not effective. They're not as effective as leading with integrity. And that's what I discovered. I'm obviously biased towards integrity. I'm constantly going on about how we should be honest all the time but there's actually very good scientific research to show that leading with integrity has higher rates of loyalty, higher productivity in teams and so on. It just works better. And you don't have all the worries that these ones have. You're not waiting for your competition to come and stab you in the back. So as we go through, we're gonna have a look at um, different aspects of integral leadership and I've got a few examples in mind. We'll look at what it means to be a leader within a romantic relationship. So just you and a partner, partners, if you swing that way. We're going to have a look at what it looks like as an office team, a very typical team environment that we get exposed to in our lives, to be part of a working group. And then a massive community, what leadership on, in a political sense looks like um, when, when applied to integrity. Much less likely to happen, but I'm hoping one day it becomes common. So we looked at some of the qualities of an integral leader already. Sets an example, makes decisions, does things first, paves the way, serves others. I want you guys, as you think of more examples of what you, you know, think of people that you followed, that you wanted to follow, that you loved following. Why? Why them? Why them and not others? What did they have that the others didn't? What made them stand out? And not to get confused with someone who's just charismatic, but Machiavellian the kind of person who like got you all hyped up emotionally and then turned out to be a dick. I'm talking about the person that you would follow, even if they were unwell and sick and weak, because you just, you just believe in them. You think following them is the best choice for you. You know have a think about why them what makes them different to somebody who you might despise you know and think of a leader you despise if you're really anti trump keep him in mind as the counter to whatever this kind of question mark silhouette of a great leader is what does he do that the great leaders don't do for example you know lying maybe i've listed some of the qualities that i found worked really well in my own personal experience. I led a number of different teams. I was uh, given a great experiment where I was given a team to run. There was a new team formed for me. So they took members of all the current teams. And so all these fucking managers gave me their worst performing person each, you know, cause they just such great team players. Right. And that for me, this is why I developed this is because I was surrounded by managers like this. That's how they played. They, they're happy to get rid of the person they couldn't work with rather than trying to be a team player. So I thought, I'm not going to be like that. And that was again, one of those counterpoints. I don't want to lead like they lead, which is they just give up on the weakest member. But I managed to take that team, which was basically a conglomeration of all the weakest people in our local organization. And I made them the highest performing team in the entire country. And this is, competing with 30,000 plus people. I was in the Department of Corrections and my team of misfits and outcasts became the highest performing team. Now that I believe was 100% because I was experimenting with these integral leadership qualities that I learned from people like Simon Sinek and others. And here's the things that i practiced. First is honesty. Most importantly, trustworthiness. I showed them everything I was thinking. I told them why I was doing what I was doing, and I delivered on any promises I made, and I made very few promises, which was an important point. The second quality was courage. I never asked them to do something scary that I would not be willing to do myself, and this is where leading from the front came into it. I taught people by example. So, if I wanted somebody to do something hard, I'd show them me doing it. Even, <laughs> I mean, I did things like taking out the trash. You know, I did things like cleaning up. Um, but I'd also like, if some really confrontational client came in, I'd go and speak to them first, just to show that I'm never going to ask someone to do something that I wouldn't do. Okay. And I would also go for Beth um, for my team. So, if there was some managers meeting and my team was getting shit from others i'd stand up for them and defend them and take the blame for them and everything like that you know i'd be there at the front taking the bullets one of the important things i learned is pri- prioritizing the health and well-being of the team over everything else including over my own reputation so when you were in my team you knew that i put you first I put you before everything else. It took me a while to pick up on this one, but I realized that was a key thing I wasn't seeing in other managers. Other managers cared more about their own careers than they did about their team, and it showed. They were willing to throw one of their longest serving, most loyal members under the bus if it would help their career. Whereas the few great managers that I managed to find would throw themselves under the bus to protect their team. And those people had very loyal team members. They had team members who offered promotions and said no, because they'd rather keep their boss. Another key element is I created winners. So not only was I protective of my team, my focus was to make their job as awesome for them as it possibly could be. And to make them as awesome within their job as they could be. To make sure that they got the training and the, Opportunities they needed to grow. What I, as as this ironic thing, I I basically decided I was going to give up my best people by training them so well that they'd be offered promotions, that they would be seen as the top performers. And what was really interesting is when they finally got to that stage, because I'd cared for them so much, they didn't want to leave the team. And so that's that effect started happening for me as well, where people were offered better positions, but they stayed because they loved the team and because of what kind of boss I was with them. Another key element was humility. The team gets the glory, not the boss. The boss leads from the front, but once the battle is won, it's the team who gets the medals, not the boss. I found that not only was that quite rewarding for myself to like kind of hide in the shadows to know that I helped, but nobody knows it nobody's patting me on the back but to watch them get their certificates and their awards and their acknowledgement to know that my part in that is invisible to the team it's very visible. I lead from the front, but to the outside world, it's just this high performing team. My name just goes unnoticed. You know. This is very different to the other management styles. You won't find this list. You'll find elements of it, but you won't find this list in those other styles, authoritative, Machiavellian, passive. And as we go on, I want you guys to keep adding more to this. Henry says, a good leader is someone who people are hardly aware of. Yes and no. There are times when it's important for the leader to be known, but it's actually the time when most leaders don't want to be known. So you should be really aware of the leader when your team fucks up that's when the leader steps up and says that's my bad that's my responsibility when you shouldn't be uh, and again this is quite opinionated on my part but when you don't want to hear about the leaders when the team's doing really well that's when you hear about the individual team members they go up on the podium and get the applause or the team as a whole does what i saw was quite so often the opposite i'd see If the team made a mistake, the manager would be bringing out like printouts of all the proof that it was a certain team member who needs to be punished and just leave them for the fucking hyenas, you know. And then if the team did really well, the manager would be bringing out all this proof that it was his management that caused that success, you know. And I looked at that and I said, you know what, I'm just going to do the exact opposite of that because the funny thing is I'm sitting there in this manager group as we had our boring ass meetings and I'm like, this is obvious. It must be obvious to everyone else. This manager is clearly tooting their own horn and throwing their own team members under the bus. Do they not realize that their boss is seeing this when it comes time for choosing who's going to move up? Are they going to choose the guy who throws his own team members under the bus? Or are they going to choose the guy who dies for his team? You know, These people would actually sabotage their own careers and their short sightedness. (laughs) Um, So I did the opposite. Every time my team did well, I'd point out which members of the team did well and why they deserved the credit. And When the team did poorly, they all became anonymous and it was just my face. I was like, well, it's me. You talk to me about my team doing poorly. It's me that did poorly. Anything my team does has my name on it. That kind of thing. It was the opposite. It was really hard to do. I've got to admit, I really wanted to take the glory a lot of the time, especially when we got ranked number one a couple of times. I was just like, oh, I'd love to be like Daniel's team is number one. you know. Um, but I'd seen what happens. I'd been in teams where managers did that. And I was like, do I really want to lose their loyalty, their camaraderie, their performance, just so I can have a moment in the sun? Is that really worth it? Or would I rather that they get to have their moment in the sun? You know? and it was about simple practicality. When they got the recognition, they performed better. And they enjoyed their job more. And everybody won. And I didn't need that recognition. And the funny thing was, all the people above me are watching this happening. And they know what's going on. They can see it's my team that performs well all the time without me needing to take that credit. It's obvious. I don't need to sing my own praises here. I don't need to get that approval. The right people who know what to look for will see what's really going on. And they did. So let's talk a little bit about how to become this kind of leader. Because it's fucking hard. When I first started, I was Machiavellian and soft. All right, And, and to change that was a huge effort on my part and huge amount of work that I had to do. But one of the first things I learned was from Simon Sinek, and if you haven't heard that name, I suggest you look it up or type it into the comments there. Yeah. In my opinion, there's nobody more qualified and reliable to to follow to learn about leadership. There's simply nobody who studied it more uh, and who understands it's better and talking about leadership with integrity no tricks no deception just you being you a lot of stuff we'll talk about today i've gone directly from him or people like him so he does this thing he talks about starting with why and this is really important for any form of team is to understand like their motivation to perform is a why inside them why am i doing this and if you can't get in touch with that and if that isn't strong the team crumbles okay what holds a community of any kind together from two people through to two million is a strong sense of why this is why often um, machiavellian leaders will resort to nationalism Let's get them all behind the country for the good of the country. Make America great again. It's a, it's a kind of cheap shot at why. Let's just get them behind the country. That'll do. Let's get them all patriotic and fucking hyped up. And then they'll do all sorts of crazy shit for us. It's a, it's a, it's a watered down simplistic version of what a good leader does. What a good leader does is they're not going to bother with something like nationalism or some sort of external reward, like get the top sales this month. They're going to look for intrinsic rewards. What is a purposeful why? What's the kind of why that makes you feel proud of what you do? What's the kind of why that makes you feel like you belong to something? What's the kind of why that makes you feel like you're doing something meaningful with your life? If you can create that kind of why, people will show up when they're sick. People will do the extra yard. People will go and do courageous things for you. People will die for the team. You know, in in the Navy SEALs, they're always like, for the core. The core, the core, the core. They just blast it into you. You are always about the guy next to you. You're always about the guy next to you. And that's why they'll take bullets for each other. Because throughout their entire training, it's just bashed in there. And all their training techniques are designed to create camaraderie between the guys. You die for the guy next to you. You die for the guy next to you. Your purpose is to protect that guy. And by the time war breaks out, nobody runs away. You know, the guys who jump on fucking grenades so the rest of their team doesn't blow up, you know, that's a strong why. Now, I'm not going to use many military examples because they can go in the other direction pretty easily, but it's just a great example of a strong why. Okay. And it's also something that can translate into any other thing. You know, in a romantic relationship, You can be like, we are about the family. You and me, our family is all that matters. We will die for the family. You know, and that works really strongly. Um, Same for a team, even a massive community. You can often see like we are about each other. Protect the community. Look out for your neighbors. So make this a great place to live. But what you really want to do is you want to find out what their purpose is and align it with the team. How can you find what their individual self-serving needs are and make sure that the team's why serves that as well? Okay. And often this can simply be a discussion. You co-create what do you want? What do you want? What do you want? What do you want? Okay. How do we make sure the team provides all of that? How do we make sure that loyalty and commitment to the team gets your own needs met? Gives you a sense of purpose. Um, this is where co-creation is so important. You're not going to tell them this is our mission. You get that so often in corporations. You know, our mission are the five values of the blah blah and our vision statement is blah, blah blah And you just see all the staff members rolling their eyes waiting for the meeting to end and they're not going to remember any of this because it's just corporate fucking gobbledygook, right? But if you start with this blank whiteboard and you say, why are we here? And you ask them, they'll answer. And when they give an answer, they commit to it. You know? And, and one of the, the this was one of the key things I did when I got given that team of outcasts who were disenchanted with where they worked because they had been seen as the outcasts. They were on performance improvement plans. Some of them were on the way to getting fired. They fucking felt like left out. And the previous managers had just argued with them all the time and made them look bad. They had no why left. They were just coming to work for a paycheck. And so I asked them, like, when you first got here, why was that? You know, why did you first come to this job? And, and the original answers came back, you know, I want to help people. I want to do something that has an impact in the world. And I said, well, what do we need to do to, to make you feel like that's what you're coming into work to do? And they told me their grievances and why they don't feel that way anymore. And they just basically gave me a plan of how to run the team. So they still felt that way. They told me it was easy. I didn't have to make anything up. They told me what I, what they wanted. And then I helped them align that with the work we needed to do. And it became a kind of a technique. Every time we had some new thing we had to do and it was difficult and nobody wanted to do it, we would figure out how it aligned with what our true why is. How does this help the community? How does this have an impact? And once they could see that connection, they could do the boring admin work and sweep up the office and all the stuff that didn't seem to have any worth because they could see the connection between that and value. But one of the most powerful things you can do in any form of team is to make the key why about serving each other. You know, you pair team members up to to watch each other's back. You, you're, you have... Activities that are designed to make people protect each other and look after each other. You get you allow them to get to know each other really, really well. You do everything you can to make sure that people feel safe to be honest and vulnerable with each other, that all confrontations are out in the open and dealt with in a healthy way. You know, and you need to lead this more than anybody else. That's your job is to show this happening. You have to be the most honest. You have to be the one who has healthy confrontations. You have to show that when someone's struggling, you don't come down hard on them. You give them more support. So then they'll feel safe to show that they're struggling. Have a think for yourselves of great leaders that you've followed or admired. What was their why? What was their purpose? How did you recognize that in them? As you're thinking about that, I want to give you some examples of using this in real life. So we've got three examples, romantic relationship, office team and massive community. Now to do this in a romantic relationship, it's mostly around boundary setting and goal setting. What do we want together as a relationship? What do we want this relationship to do for us? What is the point of this relationship? It's it's amazing to me how many couples do not have this conversation. They might have a where is this going kind of thing, but that's usually a very needy self-serving conversation. Am I going to get what I want? As opposed to what do we need to do to ensure that this is a fantastic relationship for both of us? What's this 50-50 that we're bringing in here? What do we need to not do to protect the relationship? You know, this is where a conversation, say, about cheating might come up. What do we need to do to respect the relationship? What do we need to do to respect each other? what do you need from me as a partner so that you become a better person because you're in this relationship and then you tell them what you need and so on. You know, uh, recently a guy sent me a picture of him and his, him and his girlfriend or new wife, I should say, got their whiteboard out and they'd written down all their goals together. You know, traveling, better sex, less complaining. They'd done it together. It's very rare for couples to do it like this, actually write things down and make a commitment and, and a real agreement to it. And that's why I think most couples don't make it. They don't do stuff like this. They they lose track of why they're together because they didn't co-create a why. They didn't say, look, if we're going to be together, how do we make sure that this is the best relationship we've ever had? How do we make sure we'd want to die for each other, you know? Henry says, got Jakarta's governor, Ahok, open, full of integrity. But because he was a Christian and he had a lot of enemies, because he fired corrupt people, he was jailed for a reason of he insults of the Muslim community. So what's what's the why that you're following? Is it the openness and integrity? The firing of corrupt people that's a demonstration of that integrity? Yeah. There's another example like this, uh, you know, I use Nelson Mandela a lot because I consider him to kind of be the absolute role model of integral leadership. But he went to jail for 42 years for his beliefs, for his belief in his community. He he took one for the team in a very, very fucking real way. And it wasn't good prison time either. It was really shitty prison time. And in my opinion, that's why, as soon as he was released, he became president. Is because that he showed that he was so strongly against apartheid that he would give up his freedom for it. Uh, and because he had the opportunity to run or to cut a deal and he chose not to. Um, and also, one of the elements, it's almost never happened before in human history. Is rather than fighting against the Nationalist Party, he came to an agreement with them. Rather than showing he's the big man and dominating them by force, he did what was best for the people, which was a blood free transition of power. It's almost never been done before where an oppressed people rise up and take leadership without a lot of murder. It's almost never happened before. But Mandela put aside his pride of being the best or being the one to organize what was best for his people, all South African people. You know, it's really, it's incredible. It has never happened before as far as I can tell that people who are kept oppressed actually took over without killing, you know, very rare. But his focus is always what's best for the people and murder was not best for his people. War was not best for his people. So he put aside his pride and worked with his enemies rather than trying to throw his weight around. Now it comes to example of like the office team. Like I mentioned before, getting them together to design a plan for the year and to get them to decide on the values that they agree upon to get them to design why we're coming into work each day. For them to tell you and to keep revisiting this, and when it comes to a massive community, it's about constant polling, community meetings, one-to-one feedback. It's amazing how many leaders of massive countries really got there by going door to door, one person at a time, one community hall at a time. You know, this is uh, Republicans do this really well in America, is they go out to the farms. And they go out to the community halls and they have rallies to like 20 people and they create these die-hard, lifelong fans. That's a long-term plan that works really well. Now, I'm not saying that it's always done with integrity, but it's really effective. They go, I mean, this is, Trump's a great example of a Mackey, version of this. He went to everyone and said, what do you want? Okay, I'll give it to you. No matter what they asked for, even if it contradicted the last town he was in, it's like, yep, I'll do that. Yep, I'll do that. He went to the farmers and he's like, I'll make a billion more farms, you know? And he went to the racists and said, I'll build a wall. And he just told them whatever they wanted to hear. Now that's not doing it with integrity, but it is understanding why. Why would you follow me? He did it in a very kind of shallow and superficial way. But even his slogan, make America great again. He somehow figured out, a why that people can get behind. He used nationalism, right? Now, that's the Machiavellian way. That's a deceptive, manipulative way. He hasn't actually delivered on, I think, any of the promises he made. And that's why he's going to fall down. He's kind of set himself up. But a great leader might go, but what would make you proud of this country again? And try to dig to the core and find something that most people have in common around that and deliver on that. You know. Moving on. Honesty and vulnerability. I don't think there's ever been a greater time, to be honest. Especially when you look at the leadership in the political sphere. You know, corruption is pretty rife these days throughout the world. You know, you just turn on... Al Jazeera, or something like that,' one of those kind of boring channels, and just watch what's happening in the different political organizations around the world, and you just it's just corruption after corruption after corruption. There are so many treacherous and deceptive leaders out there at the moment, getting to the top based on those other styles of leadership that we talked about. But something else is emerging, something new, which is, because it's so refreshing to be honest now, you can actually get away with doing it. It used to be you got fucking eaten alive for being honest because everybody else was dishonest and they looked perfect compared to you with all your flaws. And then people started doing this thing where they would only be honest if they got caught, which just looks terrible and made people think, oh, honesty is terrible. But if you're honest from the start, there's this invincibility. You think of like uh, the Me Too movement and how many sort of high-profile guys had their careers destroyed. Well, it wasn't what they did that destroyed their career. It was that they hid it. It, They got caught rather than disclosing it themselves. When you disclose it yourself, you can get away with anything. And a great example of this is, say, someone like Dan Bilzerian. There's going to be no Me Too movement against Dan Bilzerian, despite the fact that he's probably had sexual intercourse or relations with 10,000 women, maybe. There's never going to be a problem because he's never hidden anything. He's exactly who he is, you know, I'm not saying he's a great leader, but he, the funny thing about him, he's not even trying to be a leader. And he has a massive following. He's an example of role modeling, not necessarily the healthiest type of role modeling, but role modeling nonetheless. But one of the key elements to his appeal, no secrets. You know, he just talks about everything he's got. Now he brags quite a bit. But at the same time, if you watch an interview with him, he'll tell you about all his weaknesses and failures as well, as if it's nothing. He's got nothing to hide. It makes him invincible. You can't hurt a guy like that. What are you going to blackmail him with? You know, that isn't already out there. But the key with honesty when it comes to a team is they trust you. Trust is easily lost. But if you're on, constantly honest... It can be very, very strong. And it's so rare to have a leader you can really trust that when people find one, they cling to it, even if they don't agree with the person all the time. At least they know they're going to get the straight news, that they're not going to have to worry about what this person's thinking and what's going on in the background. I mean, think back over your life. Have you ever had a political leader that you really trusted? Ever? Have you ever had someone where you're like, that person's definitely got no bullshit going on behind the scenes? Odds are the answer is no, never. Now, it's partly because the system prevents people like that from getting to the top a lot of the time, but it's also because honest people generally don't give a fuck about leading. Honesty creates confidence, and confidence kind of diminishes the need to control other people. So you don't really get honest, confident people run for political office. They're not really interested in it. They've got their own little lives to lead. They're pretty happy with that. It's one of the downsides that the most likely thing to motivate someone to become a a politician is insecurity and greed and neediness. And those are the kind of people who make it to the top because they're in competition with each other. But you can also see that say someone like trump again a machiavellian shallow version of this when he was up against clinton he appeared to be more honest than her because he's a straight talker which is well you know that was the common sort of propaganda he put out about himself and he did compared to her appear to be talking more straight he was direct and you know he was kind of like a child spitting out anything he could think of now i personally believe that was a carefully prepared act but the key was that her with her political speak and her indirect answers and all that kind of stuff, she looked very dishonest in comparison to him. And so that's one of the main reasons he got a lot of votes, I believe. But there's an even more powerful of this version of this, and that's when it's real. Where you're actually honest, and you're actually see-through and transparent. The old 80s style of like office management's was a kind of never let them see your weaknesses. But the new style is actually let them see everything. You'll be the most courageous person on the team because nobody will be as honest as you are. And that is the strength. You can have flaws and failures and you can sometimes feel like an imposter and so on. But if you're the most honest about it, you won't be seen as weak You'll be seen as strong, especially if you're shamelessly honest. There's no apology for who you are. Okay, that's one of the things we learn from guys like Dan Bilzerian. The reason they have such followers is he never says sorry for the way he is, ever. But he'll happily disclose the way he is. He'll show you everything. The, The highs and the lows and the darkness and everything. It's also about how you communicate with the team. You need to be honest with them about your feedback but most people don't balance this very well. They only look for the flaws. So there'll be the, the manager who's honest with you about what you're doing wrong, and that's about it, but you never get recognition. That would be an authoritative leadership style. Or passive leadership style, is they always tell you, you're doing a good job, but they'll never be honest and confront you about the things you fucked up. A great leader's honest about both. Here's what I love about what you do, and here's what sucks, and he's give it to you straight. The first time I had a boss like this, he, he used to run prisons. He was just such a no bullshit guy. <laughs> like, it was just his feedback was so simplistic. I just loved it. He'd be like, this report was awesome. This one fucking sucked. Do it again. I'd be like, great. No, Good to know where you stand. You know, there was no bullshit about it. He knew that I could do better and he told me. No simple as that? But he also, he recognized my strengths. There'd be times where he'd say things that would leave me glowing. He'd be like, you're the future star of this team. And then just walk away. And I'm just like, whoa, awesome. And the very same afternoon, he'd be like, can you explain this? You fucked it up. You know, he just didn't hold back on whatever he thought. And because of that, I trusted him. I knew that if he's got a problem with me, I'm going to hear about it within a couple of minutes. And if I've done well, I'm also going to hear about it. I don't need to worry what he's thinking. You know? Now there's a balance to this. While you should reveal all your flaws and your weaknesses, you have to show that these are being managed responsibly. No one's going to follow a leader who's completely flawed and fucked up and victim and, and not doing anything about it. You can be a flawed, imperfect human being as long as you've got a handle on it. You're responsible. Responsibility is a huge element of leadership. You can't follow someone who's irresponsible. For example, you can tell the team, look, I'm getting really stressed out at the moment, but uh, so I'm going to take the rest of the afternoon off so that I can de-stress and come back to you guys stronger tomorrow. That's honest and responsible. Whereas honest and weak would be like, I'm so stressed out, leave me alone. With no kind of like plan for how this is going to go, right? No sort of future to this. But the key thing is if people have to guess what you're thinking and feeling, it means you're not being honest. Simple as that. If they never have to guess, they will trust you. And the great thing is they don't have to agree. Trust isn't based on agreement. They can be like, oh, fuck, Dan's not going to like this. But they know I'm not going to like it. They've seen consistent patterns of behavior that they can rely on, that they can predict. They don't have to worry that I'm going to come out of nowhere. And you know, I remember the first time I ever had a manager, proper one, uh, in corrections. She was so nice to me all the time. And then there was this day where I wanted to try something a bit weird and it was a bit outside the rules. And she said, yeah, you know what? i got your back. Go give it a go. We'll see how it goes. It didn't go well. I can't even remember what it was. I just remember it fucked up. And then I came back to tell her about it. And all of a sudden, I'm in an office with the boss's boss's boss and her and she just threw me under the bus right in front of him. She said, yeah, well, Daniel went off the reservation with this one, I don't know what he was thinking. I was like, oh, oh, you said I could. What the fuck? I'm just sitting there like this brand-new employee just getting reamed out by some super high-level guy having my reputation fucked. And she just let me – she was so surprising. She was just this ninja out of nowhere just came and stabbed me in the back. And I just – I never trusted her again. I couldn't believe it. But that was a great lesson for me I'm like I could never do that to somebody I need to make sure they're never shocked by my behavior a leadership a leader should never be shocking to his followers right those who are tend to be Machiavellian if we come back to Trump sometimes he shocks people again it's just emotional pumping he's kind of relying on that emotional juice to get through one week after the other Sometimes the other day he did something like 70 tweets in a day, all of them very hypey and, and emotional. It's like he's just trying to pump the last bit of blood out of the stone kind of thing. Right. Some examples of being honest and vulnerable in a romantic relationship. Tell them about your past relationships. Tell them about the, the boyfriend that you were, what they can expect what they're getting themselves into, what's and all. You know, if you've got problems with jealousy, let them know you've got problems with jealousy. You know, if you tend to be messy, let them know you're a messy person. But also let them know of your strengths. Don't be self-deprecating. Be honest. Balance it out. Make sure they get the full picture. Answer any questions they ask you honestly. Right? If they want to dig their own grave and ask things that they don't like the answer to, let them. Because the end result of that is trust. With the office team, I found that it was really important to let them see when you're struggling. That's a key element. Confused or stressed or you don't know what the answer is, don't wing it and pretend. Just let them see. It's amazing how much the team will respect you going, you know what, I don't know the answer to that. We'll have to find someone else who does. Not pretending to be the fucking expert all the time, because the leadership role is not the expert role. It's one of the things I learned from Richard Branson's books on leadership. He always wants to be the dumbest person in the room. He wants teams where they're all better than he is. I was like, hi. I thought the leader had to be the best one. So no, no. The leader brings the best together and makes them even better, but he's not the best one. He's not the expert. They are the experts. He makes sure of that, right? And with massive communities, I mean, you can already think about how many politicians you've witnessed make promises pre-election and then fail to deliver post-election. I mean, how many times do you see that? It gets to the point where you watch, where you get into elections, you're like, I don't even know what the fuck I'm voting for. (laughs) Like, I know whatever they say is happening isn't going to happen. I just have to guess which one is the least untrustworthy. But imagine if you had someone who revealed their long-term plans. Who identified the potential failures and the risks in taking those plans. It's one of the reasons I follow a lot of scientists is they say, look, this might not work. We'll give it our best shot, but we'll see. Whereas a politician says, I will definitely deliver this impossible thing. You don't even need to worry about it. No doubt whatsoever. And you're sitting there watching that like, yeah, bullshit, bro. Where's your wall? Still hasn't happened, right? So <laughs> revealing what you have in mind, what you'd usually hide. I used to see managers hoard information for no reason. They just liked keeping secrets. You know, the team would be like, Oh, why is this happening? But you'll know when you need to know. I'm just saying, they'd like, dude, fucking tell them now. There's no reason why you can't tell them, but they just like to keep things as secretive as possible. They like, they used information as power, which is very authoritative. You keep all the information so nobody else can work with it. They have to come to you all the time. You feed them. All the time. Whereas I'd come straight from a manager's meeting, have a meeting with my team and say, Here's what's happening. I'll let you know, even if it's going to make them scream and shout, you know? Even if something hasn't been decided yet and we're not sure where it's going, I'd say, Well, this is happening, but it's not decided yet. Rather than going, I'm not telling you until it's decided. I right? let them see things in process so that they could prepare themselves, so they could feel like they're on top of things, so that they're part of things, you know? Remember, guys, feel free to jump in on the comments or questions any time, yeah? Keep thinking about people that you've followed or wanted to follow and the the, the qualities that made them that way. The next one I've got here is courage. The trouble with, I think, all the other leadership styles, authoritative, Machiavellian, passive, they're all cowardly styles of leadership. And what I mean by cowardly is they're afraid of losing something. And so they use techniques and strategies to avoid losing that something. Their reputation, the loyalty of their followers, their control and power, their wealth. So they use techniques to protect their own interests. A courageous leader is willing to lose to do what's right for the team, to do what's right in general. And that's what makes them different. And ironically, that's what makes them Um, more likely to have loyal followers, okay? Courage is where the going first bit comes in, okay? If something's difficult, you initiate it. Always go first, right? You want to be the shield for your team. You take the blame. You give up all the recognition. You're the one who protects them from the bullets. Right. If there's a threat to your team, you're at the front. If there's recognition, you're at the back. You're constantly giving up your ego to protect the team to do its best for the people that you're there to serve. <clears throat> and you're always going to be the one who shows them how it's done. If there's a confrontation, you'll confront. If there's a difficult new task, you'll have a crack at it first. Right. If you need to be vulnerable, you're the one who shares first. Right. You've got to think they follow. So they'll do as much as you do. If you want them to be very honest, then they'll be as honest as you are. It's as simple as that, and that's really often quite the case. Um, there's very few people who will be more honest than their boss in an office environment because of the risk. I don't know what I'm allowed to share. I have to base it on what my boss will be willing to do. Right? So show them that there's no limits to that. Be the one who's scared first. One of the things i found to actually make leadership really enjoyable for yourself is to risk your life to protect it. I don't mean you actually go out there and find something risky, but to make that commitment to it. Like when I, when I proposed to my wife, I was like, I'll die for her. And that actually strengthened my commitment to her it actually made me more enjoyable to be the man in the relationship. You know, recently there was a guy who was trying to do stuff to her sexually. He wasn't uh, me too level or anything like that. He was just a bit inappropriate. And so I went with her to the next meeting she had to have with him and stood in between them and gave him a pretty hard eye and made sure he knew what was up. It felt good to do that. I'm like, she doesn't have to worry about guys like this with me around. I'll get in the way. I'll take a punch to the face if I have to. I don't give a shit. You know. Now, I was actually intimidated by him. He was a big guy. But I was like, fine, I'll be intimidated. I'll be the shield. Which actually made the leadership role more enjoyable. And I got very, uh, shall we say, convincing feedback from her that she enjoyed me doing that. Right? She liked that I would protect her in that way. That I cared enough to, to, to risk physical harm for her. Okay. even though there probably was no real risk. But always going first. That's a key element to this. Don't ask anything of someone that you wouldn't do yourself, that you can't demonstrate. Again, you see a lot of Machiavellian leaders pretend to do this. You know, those politicians that roll up their sleeves and start digging a hole, you know, just to get a good few pictures in the paper. You know, it's trying to show that they'll do that there are other leaders who will actually do it. They'll go and face down the UN and fight for their country's rights. You know, and they'll get a lot of shit for it. They'll go shake hands with a dangerous leader on his turf. Show the team, like, I'll do anything for this team, you know. Henry asks, do you think Tony Robbins is like Machiavellian style leader? Uh, I don't know if it's that clear cut, but I I do see he uses a lot of Machiavellian technique. So if you go to a Tony Robbins seminar, there's a lot of hype. Lots of emotional pumping, lots of making people hug each other and fist bump, lots of loud noises and music and crescendos of mood. So he'll bring everyone down and then pump them all back up and explosion, then bring them down, pump them up and explosion. Now, I'm not sure he's doing this to lead as much as he's doing it to sell. I don't think he cares that much about being a leader, but it's hard to say. I mean, his documentary, I Am Not Your Guru, has got to be one of the most ironically named things ever because he clearly loves being a guru right? or clearly wants to be seen as one, in my opinion. So I would say he's more authentic than he is Machiavellian, but he's not opposed to using techniques. He uses a lot of NLP. He's quite open about that. Uh, and he also talks to people while he's pumping up, pumping them up as to why he's pumping them up. He's kind of open about his intentions. Though he isn't open about the bit where it's going to help him upsell his next product. He probably doesn't say that quite so obviously. So I'd say he's kind of like a 50-50 blend, you know. Um but there are other, that's the thing I've found. The most integral leaders don't make it to the very top, unfortunately. Okay, They're the most well-known names. It's the next level down that you find the leaders of integrity. Not many people know of them. They have huge following, so. You can find them, they, they have... A great example, I think, is Jordan Peterson. Now, that's not saying I agree with everything he says. But in terms of integrity... Definitely. He's a man that I've never once seen and thought he's not telling the truth. That doesn't mean that what he's saying is true, but he thinks it is. He's very open and honest about his own weaknesses. He very recently checked into rehab because he's got an addiction to a painkiller, uh, to an anxiety medication, sorry. And his first act was to make sure that his daughter went on YouTube and told everyone that he's going into rehab. Right? He's very straightforward, very honest about his strengths and his weaknesses. And the funny thing is, there's no real attempt by him to lead. He's just talking, just speaking his mind and fighting for a cause. People follow him by choice. Have you notice that? He, he's not trying to bring a group together. People follow him because he's like the father they never had. Right? I really want to emphasize, I don't actually agree with like, I don't know, about 30% of what he says. Like I think sometimes he's just talking shit, but in terms of integrity and leadership, I'd say he's a perfect role model of what we're talking about today. He just speaks his mind, tries to be as open and honest and as loving towards the people who follow him as possible. He's trying to help people. There's, I've seen videos of him where he like breaks down to tears, just talking about how important it is to him to help people, you know? And that's what people feel from him. And he's incredibly honest and he got, to the, he got to the prominence that he got to because of courage. He's the one who went to that panel and faced down the, the law changes in Canada about how you've got to call people by their pronouns or whatever. That was a very bold move. That's the kind of thing that could have lost him his job as a professor. And he went and did it anyway because he believed it was the right thing to do. Now, I'm not saying that it was the right thing to do. I'm saying that he believed it was and was willing to risk his job and his reputation to fight for it. And that's the kind of thing that people follow. People watched him and go, fuck yeah, he's saying what I want to say, but he's got the balls to say it. How do I become more like him? And so they follow. KK put in authority and set goals, never step back. Lee Kuan Yew, founding father of Singapore, I admired how he built Singapore and community. Makes Singapore transition from third world to first world country. Absolutely. Singapore went from zero to hero pretty fucking fast. Um, And it was quite, it's amazing now, you know, you go there now and it's like a a pretty fancy place to go. Um, But that certainly wasn't the case uh, only a short while ago. And there's a kind of consistent fight, you know, when somebody sets a goal and they're just, they're like a dog on a bone They just will not be knocked off that path where you can see like, you can see it with New Zealand politicians a lot. You're like, what do you even stand for, dude? Last year was this thing, now it's that thing. You're just standing for whatever will get you a vote. It's pathetic. You know, Winston Peters in, in, in New Zealand politics is a great example for this. To this day, I don't know what the fuck he stands for, but he's in, you know, he, he gets voted in every single time because he just says something that will get him at least 5% of the vote. He doesn't give a fuck. He doesn't stand for anything there is zero consistency to that dude he's just this chameleon that blends in with the flavor of the month you know that is machiavellian style he's quite happy to just get in on tricks rather than merit whereas you can often see like in the more green parties of politics the ones who don't care about winning they just care about a single policy and they die for this policy it's much more consistent But they often lack other elements of this responsibility, courage, perhaps. And that's why they don't make it much further than that. But they have that kind of dedication to a cause. Even Dan Bilzerian is dedicated to hedonism. He's dedicated to, you know, just living a life of pleasure. There's a dedication that people follow. Like, man, that guy really is all about pleasure. And he makes no apology for that. He's very honest about it. Some examples, courage, in a romantic relationship, it means initiating conversations where there's tension, bringing up uncomfortable things to discuss, you know, the thing that nobody wants to talk about, being the one who brings it up, okay, so we're we going to talk about this thing or what, right? and also to reveal that you fucked up, you know, there's one of the hardest things I find in my relationship is once you get to know someone really well, you're like, oh yeah, this is going to piss her off. And you've got that option. You're sitting there like, I know how she's going to react to this. I don't have to tell her, but the leader goes and tells her anyway, you know? And every where I tell her like, look, uh, you know, the other day I masturbated to porn. I didn't tell you. She's like, why do you tell me this shit? I don't want to fucking know this. I'm like, well, I have to, so you know, you know, I was scared to tell you, so now I have to tell you. You know, and in an office team, um, I found one of the key ones is, is selling them behind their back. Which is rather than talking them down behind their back, you talk them up. And then you protect them when anybody else is talking them down. You know, I used to see managers get together and just bitch about their teams. And I made sure that even if no, none of my team were watching, that I did the opposite. I said, my team's awesome. You know, they're strong in this and this and this. I was never the one bagging them behind their backs. I think with massive communities, you might have identified that one, KK, with um, you in Singapore. Rejecting tempting offers that would harm the community. Being willing to lose your privileges in order to do what's right for your community. You know, um, for them to see you do this, see you give up things. That's why I think a lot of politicians um, will give up like their... their Arnold Schwarzenegger is a great example who did this. He's a, he's somebody I consider quite an integral leader. When he was governor, he donated all his governor paycheck. He Donated it to charity. Right, he didn't keep a dollar of that. Now he's rich. He doesn't need to. But it's amazing how like I don't know someone like Trump will keep all his money. Like the dude's billionaire or whatever. He still keeps his his measly president paycheck. Right. But just showing that you'll give up something that might tempt you off the path, something that might corrupt you, to make sure that it doesn't. You know, that you'd rather protect the community than get a perk. Cool. Got a few more things. I don't want to go too long today. We've covered a lot of the main ones. But I want you guys to already start thinking about how this applies to you. All right. What you would have to do um, differently in your romantic relationships or your team environment or within your community to start being a more integral leader. And as you think of things, chuck them in the comments, you know, what comes up for you that might need to change or you keep doing it or something you want to experiment with. Got role modeling here. I think we've already discussed that. I'm going to move on from that one. But here's a key one, which is sticking to your role. So one of the key elements of good leadership is understanding that leadership is a role. It's not a hierarchical position. You're not above other people. You're not better than them. You're not smarter than them. You have a role, and that role is to lead. You've got a job to do. Okay. You've got to understand that that means you can't be doing the other jobs. As someone put it to me once, it really stuck with me, don't row the boat when you should be steering. Okay. Steer the ship, that's your job. So, this is where your job as a leader has got to be very clear. What's your role in this team? And I'd suggest it's pretty much this their well being is your top priority. Your role as a leader is to do whatever it takes to ensure the well being of the team. It means if it's a romantic relationship, how do you ensure that your partner is having the best life possible? As a result of being in a relationship with you, how do you ensure that your team is high performing and thoroughly enjoy being at their work? You know, how do you ensure that your community loves living in their community? That's your job. Now, it doesn't mean you have to do that work, you have to be the one who makes it happen. You're the enabler, the facilitator. You're the one that Does what needs to be done so that other people do the work that makes this happen. See, if I'm running a team, it's not up to me to make the team enjoyable. It's up to them. My job is to help make sure that they do that work. Okay. And that's mostly done through your relationships with them. I I think, if anything, the key element to understand here, leadership is about relationships. One of the best things I I did with my team, it took me a long time to get here. I used to sit behind the desk all the time. But I changed. What I did is I just started moving among them, constantly talking with them, sharing ideas, letting them talk to me, and so on. I I had meetings with each and every one of them every week. We'd have a a one-to-one. And it'd just be them, voice their concerns, share what they're doing, make sure that... um, I know everything I need to know to make sure that their job is awesome. Constantly checking in and I started delegating other work. I gave them like juicy projects and assignments that would have made me look good. I let them do that work so that I could be the one that leads rather than being the one who rows the boat. What I find is a great leader actually sits around doing fuck all. They're not doing much of the work. They just do bold impressive things every now and then to show that they'll lead from the front and that they'll do the hard work. The rest of the time, they're just watching the team carefully, making sure everything's all good, stepping in when it isn't. That's it. They need to be constantly there for their team. I saw some managers who were like, they'd work from home one day a week, then they'd be in meetings for two days a week. And the rest of the time they had their office door closed. I'm like, are you a secretary or a leader? Where the fuck are you? Your team needs you. You should be here five days a week, door open. That's leadership, okay? So you've got to delegate. You don't do it for them. If I want my partner to have a great life, I'm not going to make her have a great life. I'm not going to go and drag her along and make her do all the stuff. I'm not going to do it for her. I'm going to make sure she has a partner that's encouraging and enabling and supportive. Somebody who will call her out on her bullshit when she's holding herself back. And somebody who will recognize her strengths every time it's apparent, right? So that she feels encouraged and motivated as often as possible to do what's right for herself. You know, Don't keep the good stuff for yourself. Let them have it. Show them how to do it. Help them learn how to do it. That's leadership. You don't have to be the winner. You need them to be the winner. You know? They're the experts. You're the facilitator of expertise. Your aim is to make them better than you, not to keep them worse than you so that they need you. Yeah, I think that's that's a, the greatest sign of a leader is the team doesn't need them. The team is functioning so well because the invisible leadership, this person's going through, making sure they don't need to run to the boss, making sure they don't know, you know, they don't struggle to solve problems on their own, but is there for them when they do. You know. Leading is a value. You provide it to the group. Right? You're providing a service here. You know, I can see it sometimes I'll be in some group that have never been together before. I went to a meetup a while back for like people who are practicing speaking English. And I got there before the host did. And there's a bunch of people there and they're mostly shy people just sitting around nervously looking at each other. So I just went, okay, well I'll go first then. And I just started talking about myself that was my gift to the group to break the ice to get things moving and then i sat back and let them talk but that's what they needed they needed someone to come and serve them because nobody was going first everyone was too scared so i went and did that bit and then they got moving i warmed them up and then they did the rest you're not better than the group you're a specialist your specialty is leadership specialty is making sure the best comes out of them making sure they work well together. And then they do the best stuff. And they are impressive. And that's why they get the recognition later on. It's because it wasn't you who did the work. It was them. Some examples, if you're in a romantic relationship, rather than doing something for your partner, encourage them to do it on their own. And reward them when they do. Reward them for their bravery. Go, wow, I'm so impressed that you did that. One of my favorites that I used in an office team, select specialty positions for each person in the team. And there's a real kick to this. If you can do this based on their weaknesses, turning them into strengths, this is how I turned around a low-performing team. So I had like one girl, she was really gossipy. She was constantly distracted from work because she's just talking to people all the time. So I made her our liaison officer. I made it her job to talk to people all the time. I didn't need to turn off her thing. I just needed to redirect it. Rather than bothering her workmates, I needed her on the phone to our partners and our affiliates. Right? She loved chatting anyway. She became like the bright, bubbly face of our team. You know, she became the person who was easiest to get on the phone. So I just let her be that. I had another guy who was resisting me in every fucking meeting because I'd actually, we'd both applied for the job and I got it and he used to be my mentor. So it was quite bitter and resentful about me kind of like leapfrogging over him. And so he'd always kind of like sabotage me at the meetings, undermine what I was saying and argue against me. And for ages, I just fought against this and I thought, fuck it, that's his job then. He's going to be the devil's advocate. So I gave him that role. And your job is to disagree with everything just to make sure we haven't missed anything. Okay, you have to be satisfied before we move on in something. I want you to look for the flaws in what we do. And what became an annoying problem actually became a huge strength for the team. You know. Because now he's like, okay, I get to use this. I'm being recognized for this. Uh, I'm not, you know, and there's nothing for him to fight against now. I removed all the resistance. Because it's actually a great skill. He's a confrontational guy. So let's let him be confrontational, you know. There's another guy who keeps getting in trouble for breaking the rules. So I made him our creativity expert. He had to design new processes, right? If he's going to break the rules, well, let's at least do it in a structured, authorized way. It's make breaking the rules his job, right? So you can do this. You can take someone's natural abilities that are annoying you and turn them into a strength. It's amazing. It's just like redirect. It's like moving a gun barrel so it points at the target. All of a sudden, it's doing heaps of good things, right? And when it comes to a massive community, building those relationships one person at a time. Something I do now is. When I get emails and stuff, quite often I respond with a video message, a personalized message to somebody. It only takes a couple of minutes for me to put it together, but it blows people's minds that I get back to them that personally. You know, that intimately. I don't just write them something or they don't get a template. You know, when somebody new joins Brojo, they get a personal video message from me. Right? That means if there's twelve people in a day, I do twelve messages that's my job as a, as, as a leader in the brojo community is to build relationships with the people there's nothing more important for me to do than that so that's where i put my effort yeah. right just having a little look i'm going to skip it here there's a couple other things i had there but we kind of covered them but the last thing i'll, I'll put there Make sure that following you is beneficial. It's really simple. Make it so following you improves a person's life. And that includes you being the leader in a romantic relationship. Make sure that having you as a leader in a relationship makes the other person's life better. This is not about people-pleasing. That's different. It's about service. It's about enabling people to be better. Coaching, mentoring, encouragement, challenge, provocation, whatever it is that brings out the best in somebody. Be that guy. Make sure that if they do have to sacrifice some of their own little personal desires and needs, it's for a greater good. So they're part of a community that they love being part of. That they'll be willing to not get everything they want because following you in general is awesome. They'll sacrifice what they need to for that. You know? That they get support rather than punishment when they're struggling. That the harder things are for them, the more support they get. Okay? That they'll achieve more working with you than against you. For themselves and for their greater purpose. And if you can, try to make it fun. It's one of the hardest things to do in a team, especially if you're working with a team of people in a job where maybe they don't really want to be there. How do you make the worst part of the job their favorite bit? It's a challenging question to answer, but you don't have to answer it. You ask them. Okay, everybody hates cleaning up at the end. How do we make this the best part of the day? How do we end the day on a high if we're going to clean up? Maybe you just go out for pizza afterwards every time or maybe you pump loud music while you're doing your cleaning, have a little dance party. It doesn't matter how you do it, but they got to see like, fuck, it's awesome having this guy as a leader. Yeah. And you don't need to figure out what the answer to that is. You ask them, what would make you think that I am the best boss who ever had? What would you need from me? And yeah, it's amazing, I don't see politicians doing this. They say, I'll do this and I'll do that. Rather than going, what do you guys need in a leader? And then delivering on that. They always just do external promises. I'll lower taxes and I'll build a bridge and I'll keep the immigrants out or whatever it is that people are just emotionally attached to. Instead of going, what do you need as a leader? What would I need to do for you to respect me and trust me, you know, to feel that this country was in good hands, what would you need to see from me? They'll tell you. I used to do meetings with my team, like one-to-one, and the question I always asked at the end is, what is one thing you want me to improve on? They weren't allowed to give me no answer. They had to give me critical feedback. What would make me a better boss? And there was nothing more helpful to my job than those pieces of feedback. What would make me a better boyfriend? Right? What would make me a better pastor? You know, what would make me a better friend? You can ask people this question and they've got answers. You just might have to push if they're a bit scared of you. But make following you beneficial. You know? In a romantic relationship, take over the hard decisions. you know if you're at a restaurant, she can't decide what to eat. Just say, "Give me that menu, I'll get you something." Now She might not like what you ordered, but she'll love that you ordered for her when she was struggling. You know depending on her personality type, <laughs> some of them won't um. When it comes to an office team, you know, give them as much creative freedom as possible. Let them express themselves. Make sure that they get to be themselves at work. You know, any shitty ass job can be enjoyable if you get to be you, you know. Constantly ask them what would make working here more enjoyable for you and see if you can deliver on that. When it comes to a massive community, spend your time solving problems at an individual level rather than promising grand changes, solve real problems. Doesn't matter how small they are. You know, if you're running for council and somebody says, you know, this road's got a pothole in it, make sure that next Saturday they see you out there with a wheelbarrow full of stones filling in that pothole. That shit will get you the vote. Right? But it'll be done through integrity. You're really going and solving that problem. You know? doesn't mean you'll fill in every pothole it's just sometimes you just have to show something you have to show look i will take your problem seriously and deal with it and i'll design my leadership around that so i'm always able to do that there's plenty more we can talk about on this topic but we'll wrap it up here for today just to recap on those core principles yeah honesty courage leading from the front Prioritizing the health and well-being of the team over everything else. Creating winners and being humble. Right? Those are the traits that people will willingly choose to follow. They won't be tricked into following them. They won't be forced into following them. It's the Jordan Peterson effect. You won't even have to try to lead. People will just follow. Right? Any final thoughts or questions before we wrap it up for today? Nothing? Hans, you're all good? Cool, cool. Alrighty, guys. Well, thank you so much for showing up live and for contributing your thoughts and ideas. Yes, the recording will be available later. That will come out through the emails. And uh, I'll see you guys all for the next one, which will actually be a little while off because I've got my honeymoon starting next week. I'll be away for a couple of weeks. And uh, I'm not going to do anything. So I'll get, get started back on these when I come back. Thank you guys again. Catch you guys next time, mate. Eh? Cheers.